Hello, and welcome back to Southside Baptist Church's Sermon Audio Podcast. Tune in this week as Pastor Scott Smith preaches a message on forgiveness. We hope this message blesses you, and if it does, we ask that you would go on to iTunes and leave us a positive review to make it easier for other people to find our content and be blessed by it. Have a great week. I want to invite you, if you will, to turn in your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 18, and um, we're also going to be, we're going to be in a lot of pass- uh, verses this morning we're going to be looking at, but uh, Ephesians chapter 4 as well, Matthew 18 and Ephesians chapter 4. Amen. We serve a great God. Amen? Amen. 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 And we are continuing uh, in our series on relationships. So this morning, I want to talk to you about um, the key to long-lasting relationships. Uh, because uh, if we're not careful, what can happen is hurts can happen, things can happen, and um, it can cause our relationships to get cut off and become broken. And so we then end up having relationships, friendships, but they end up being short, not, not long-lasting. So is there something that is a key that is crucial uh, necessary for long-lasting relationships. Uh, now, we're talking about this, and we're not just talking about, yes, it applies to marriage and husband-wife relationships, but it also applies to sibling relationships. This applies to friendships. It reply, applies to uh, uh, co-worker relationships. Any type of relationship you have, what is it that can help those relationships to not just be for a year or two or three until one person gets mad at the other but what can make it really last? In his book, uh, Like Do Your Youth, Eugene Peterson writes this. He says, a search of scripture turns up a rather surprising truth. He says, believe it or not, there are no exemplary or model families in all of the Bible. Now, let me just pause here a minute. I haven't personally studied this, okay? But what he says seems to make a little sense if we think about it. He says, not a single family is portrayed in Scripture in such a way so as to evoke admiration by us. He says, there are many family stories. There is considerable reference to family life. And there is sound counsel to guide the growth of families. But he contends that there is not a single model, not a single model family for anyone to look up to in either awe or envy. And then he goes through the list. He says, think about it. Adam and Eve are no sooner out of the garden than their children do what? They sin, they get in a fight, and one of them kills the other. Uh, as if Adam and Eve messing things up wasn't enough, right? Went from bad to worse. Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, are forced at the end of their father's lives to, to devise a strategy to hide their father's drunkenness and his drunken shame. Jacob and Esau, they don't get along, do they? They're bitter rivals and sow seeds of discord that bear centuries of bitter harvest. Joseph and his brothers, if you think about it, bring a whole new definition to the phrase sibling rivalry and parental favoritism. Jesse's sons, even though they're brave and loyal in service of their country, are unpredictable and cruel to their youngest brother, David. And to top it all off, King David himself, supposed to be the primo guy, right, in all of Israelite history, is unfortunate in both wives and children. 
Yes, he's a man after God's own heart. And yes, he was Israel's greatest king other than Lord Jesus himself. But he cannot even manage his own household well. He goes on to say, even in the family of Jesus, his earthly family, when we, where we might expect something different, he says there are shades of the same theme. The picture in Mark chapter 3 strikes us as typical rather than exceptional. While Jesus is active out healing the sick, comforting the distressed, and fulfilling his calling as Messiah, his brothers are outside trying to get him to come home, criticizing him, and quite sure that he is crazy as they misunderstand and simply do not comprehend what he is doing. The biblical material, he writes, consistently portrays the family, not as some Norman Rockwell painting sitting there at the Thanksgiving table on Thanksgiving Day, right? But the biblical material pictures, portrays the family as a series of broken relationships in need of redemption. Doesn't that make you feel better about your family? Amen? I want you to think about that for just a minute. I want you to think about it a step further. I want you to think about for a minute all the relationships in your life. Okay? I want you to think about all the relationships in your life, whether they're family relationships, whether they're friend relationships, whether they're coworkers, whatever it is, school relationships. Have you ever had a perfect relationship with somebody else? Okay? Now, husbands, your hand's supposed to go up. Yes, because my wife's perfect. But other than that, Have you ever had a perfect relationship with somebody else that lasted more than a day? (laughs) Okay, and if that's the case, then that also defines it not as a perfect relationship. (laughs) One in which the other person never wronged you in any way? Have you ever had a relationship in which you liked everything the other person ever did or, or one in which neither you nor the other person ever criticized each other ever? I see no hands. Of course not, right? Every relationship we have has at some time or another had difficulties of some sort, have had friction. Uh, the other person has rubbed you the wrong way. So, so I want you to think about it. Therefore, if every relationship has problems of some sort, every relationship you have has the potential to be a broken relationship. Let me say that again. If every relation, we've already established that every relationship you have is, none is perfect. Everyone has issues. People have hurt you. And stuff. So if that is happening, every relationship has the potential to be a broken relationship. So if no relationship is perfect, and if there are hurts from time to time in every relationship, then what makes any relationship work? It's amazing that we have any relationships that last for any length of time. Amen? Friends, What makes some work and some fail? That's what I want to talk to you about today. And how can we make relationships last? And is there there a key? Is Is there a magic bullet? You know, I'm not usually into magic bullets, but I want to tell you something. I got a magic bullet for you today. I got a magic bullet for you today to make your relationships last. What is the key to relationship success? Friends, I believe it revolves around realizing and accepting three relational principles or truths. And I want to share them with you this morning. Number one, here's the first one. It's very simple. We kind of already talked about it. It is this, people are going to wrong you. 
okay? People are going to wrong you. I, yeah, you can put another word in there if you want to. People are going to hurt you. Um, people are going to um, mistreat you. I want you to look with me in Matthew chapter 18 for a moment, if you will. Matthew chapter 18, Peter asks Jesus a question. It says in verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to him, came to Jesus, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Now, this question from Peter comes just after um, a section in which Jesus has given us instructions on how to handle a situation when someone wrongs us right? We're familiar with the passage right before in which uh, it says if someone's wronged, wronged you, has hurt you, go to them, right? And, and, and see, what, see if you can make it right. Go to them and seek to make it right. If they won't listen to you, do what? Take somebody else. If they won't listen to you, then take it before the church. And so we know that. We call that the passage that, you know, about church discipline and so forth. But Peter here, after Jesus talks about that, Peter then doubles down kind of on what they were talking about. Uh, Jesus said, if someone, if your brother sins against you, well, Peter in his mind is thinking, well, Jesus, what if they keep sinning against me, right? What if, what if I've, I've worked it out and they do it again and they do it again and they do it again and they do it again. And listen, I think what's really behind that is Peter knew it was going to happen. Amen. Peter, Peter knew that it's inevitable that people are going to hurt us. And the reality is that it's not usually just one time. It's many times. So Peter asked the question. Peter says, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now, the, the law, the rabbis uh, required the Jews to, to forgive three times. So Peter here thinks he's being like really spiritual, <laughs> So he doubles it, adds another one, right? Seven's a perfect number. Surely seven times is enough. They say only three. Man, we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be following Jesus. Seven is plenty, right? Look at what Jesus says. Jesus said to him in verse 22, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to what? 70 times seven. So Jesus says we don't need to forgive seven times. We need to forgive 490 times. Is that what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying, listen, so when somebody gets to the 489th time, listen, listen, buddy, you better watch it. I've already forgiven you 489 times. One more and you're out of here. No, that is not the point at all. The point is, I really believe that Jesus here, when Peter says the seven, Jesus says, no, not seven, 70 times seven. It's, it's an, he's really saying infinitely, we are supposed to continue to forgive. Uh, because Jesus knew, just like Peter knew, that people are going to hurt us and they're going to wrong. If you hadn't come to that realization yet, newsflash, people are going to wrong you. They're going to they're hurt you, some intentionally, unfortunately, and some unintentionally. Here's the point I want to make here, and that is that it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's inevitable, friends. People will wrong you. People will hurt you. You say, but pastor, I don't have to keep hanging around those people. You're right. You don't. And let me just say this. In certain cases, you shouldn't. Okay? 
uh, in certain cases of abuse and so forth. But let me just, without going into a lot of detail about that, let me just say, let's not use that abuse word as an excuse to get out of any relationship, okay? Um, yes, there is abuse that, 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 you, that needs to be separation and, 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 and a, a leaving. But the honest truth is that the more you hang around someone and the more you interact and spend time with people, the more likely it is that they're going to wrong you in some way, right? That's just inevitable. Probably unintentionally, probably not meaning to. Probably uh, they will say something or do something without thinking or in the heat of the moment and unintentionally hurt you in some way. You say, but pastor, if they really loved me, if they really cared about me, they wouldn't do that. If, if, if they really were really my friend, they would not hurt me. Um, if that's your thinking, let me just, I need to share something with you that is, should be something we all know and something maybe you're forgetting, maybe you're leaving out this important fact, friends, is that we're all human. Nobody is perfect. We're all human. Uh, uh, your friends, your family, as much as you don't want to admit it, your mom is human, okay? <laughs> Sorry, moms. I don't know where that came from, but I, I apologize. Even mom's human, all right? And listen, probably the best relationship most of you have is with your mother, right? Mom never does anything wrong and so forth. But listen, even mom is human, and even mom may try to over-control sometimes. Mm. Mm. Sorry. I, we'll move on, okay? <laughs> we'll move on. Listen, even dads do that from time to time. All my kids be quiet, okay? Um, we're all sinners. We all are imperfect creatures. Creatures, none of us live perfect lives, and all of us fall short at various times in various ways. You know what Romans 3.23 says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, that's what the scripture says. And so, friends, I don't care how much someone loves you. I don't care. And listen, ain't nobody going to love you probably more than your mama. Amen? I don't care how much someone loves you. I don't care how careful they are. I don't care what they've promised you. Human nature says that it's only a matter of time before they do something or say something that's going to hurt you. So, what can we take from that? Friends, don't take it personally when somebody hurts you. They, I, listen, here's the deal. Um, reality is they are probably equal opportunity herders to other people as well, okay? Um, th th I'm sure it's not just you. I'm sure they, they hurt others as well. And friends, if we accept the fact that people are sinners, people are going to wrong you even when they don't mean to, it makes life a whole lot easier. Uh, in an interview from a couple years ago, a man by the name of, I don't know if I'll get this name right, Elaine de Botton, sounds French or looks French, so I'm going to make it sound French, okay? It's actually British. Elaine de Botton is a famous British atheist, and even though he's an atheist, I want you to listen to what he says. He says, I love the concept of original sin. The idea that we're all fundamentally broken and fundamentally incomplete. When asked why he loves the concept of original sin, here's what he said. He said, because original sin seems to be such a useful starting point. 
He says, imagine a relationship in which two people think they're great, which two people think the other is perfect. He said, that's going to lead to intolerance and terrible disappointment when they realize that they're not perfect. Makes sense, doesn't it? He says, however, whereas imagine a relationship that begins under the idea that two people are quite broken and therefore they need forgiveness. When asked to define broken, he says, by broken, I mean not quite right. Yeah, I I laughed at that too, because as I look around this room and I look in the mirror, I see a lot of people who ain't quite right, okay? (laughs) Amen, amen. I think we can all give a witness to that, right? So he says, that's why the concept of original sin seems so plausible and applicable and also kind, because it basically says, look, when you meet someone new, just assume that something major has gone wrong here. (laughs) Don't assume they're perfect. You know, I hate it when somebody comes to me and says, oh, pastor, I've met this person and they are just so wonderful. They're so perfect. They treat me just absolutely fine. And what I want to say is that's great for now, but how are you going to act when they don't? Because they won't always do that. He says, look, when you meet somebody new, just assume something major has gone wrong. Treat everybody you meet, he says, as though they were laboring under some really big problem. That's the starting point of any good relationship. Realize, friends, that people are going to wrong you. Amen? How absolutely true that is. And here's the amazing part of that, friends. That's coming from an atheist. How is it that he can understand that and many of us cannot? People are going to wrong us. Expect it. Number two. Not only are people going to wrong us, but the second relationship or relational truth that we need to recognize, friends, is that if we're not careful, resentment can build up. If we're not careful in our relationships, resentment can build up. I want to look at several scriptures with you this morning. We're going to look at on the screen. First is Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Verse 9 says this, says, do not hasten or be quick in your spirit to be angry. In other words, don't be easily angered, right? Don't be quick to to anger. For anger rests in the bosom or in the heart of fools. I think that's very telling, friends. We need to not be so easily offended by every little thing somebody else says to us. We looked at this last week with 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5. One of those love is And that love is passage, right? Says this, love is not provoked, which simply means love is not easily angered, right? It does not take offense. So when we are tempted to get angry at somebody, right? Or we're uh, tempted to to be bitter towards them or to become uh, resentful towards them. First of all, we need to recognize that those attitudes, those responses from us are sin in and of themselves. You see, the problem is we, if somebody hurts us, we then think we're justified to be angry. We think we're justified to be bitter and resentful. And the reality is that scripture calls those things sin. And if it's sin, it's wrong. And if it's sin, it's not acceptable. Amen? And so first of all, we need to realize that those attitudes that we have are sin and that makes, that turns it from their problem into our problem. And second, 
We need to deal quickly with those sins in our life. We need to do, deal quickly with them and not let them fester. Listen, because it's a wrong response from us. Two wrongs, you know, don't make a what? Right. And so they've sinned against us. That's fine. But how does Jesus tell us to respond? Jesus tells us to respond in love, in kindness, in gentleness, and uh, in, 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 in loving the other person, uh, doing good to them, even when they've wronged us. Look at what Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26 says. It says this. It says, be angry and do not sin. So um, I've always been intrigued by this verse. And it's simply for this reason. Because if anger is a sin, then why is Paul then giving us, giving us um, uh, is he giving us permission to sin here? Is he giving us permission to be angry? Here's what I believe Paul means when he writes this. Because when somebody wrongs us, let me just say, emotions, our, our initial emotions are not a sin. So I believe sometimes, you, you know, we, we get, Right? When somebody wrongs us, our natural inclination, because we're sinners too, is right to get angry. But I think Paul here is saying, be angry and do not sin. In other words, where that, where that feeling becomes a sin is when we begin to dwell on it and we fester on it. So he says, be angry and do not sin. In other words, what he's saying is deal with it quickly. When the Holy Spirit convicts us that, that, that we are wrong in that, as soon as he convicts us, we need to confess that. Yes, oh, sorry, God, that, that, that feeling, that emotion that I just had and that I'm dwelling on and I'm chewing on is sin in and of itself, and I need to deal with it, and I need to get over that. Be angry and do not sin. Why? Or he continues on, he says, do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Deal with it quickly, right? Don't go to sleep before you deal with it. I don't believe he means, well, then you can chew on it all day long, <laughs> right? No. When he's just saying, listen, don't, don't, don't wait a day. Deal with it. Take care of it. Don't let those things um, continue because why? Look what he says. He says, nor give place to the devil or give opportunity to the devil. Because when we don't deal with our sin quickly, what do we do? We give the devil a foothold in our lives. And we allow him a foothold in our relationships. And we've already talked about, friends, where, where uh, a soft answer, you know, a soft answer um, brings peace, but what, a, a, a harsh spirit stirs up strife? And so uh, it's how we respond that makes all the difference in the world in our relationships. We need to deal with any anger or resentment or bitterness quickly. Don't let it fester. Don't let it remain. Why? Well, look at Hebrews chapter 12 here, verse 15. It says, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. By this, many have been defiled. So friends, bitterness and resentment, when they're not dealt with, and we allow those little, bitter, little hurts to build up, they can cause big problems in our relationships. In fact, the reality is that it's often not one big offense that it destroys a relationship. Now, it happens, right? It happens sometimes where, where you know, everything's going smoothly and then all of a sudden somebody's caught in an affair or, you know, somebody, you know, really hurts the other person in one big offense and stuff. That happens. But friends, oftentimes, um, particularly in marriage, it is small hurts and wrongs, almost insignificant in and of their own, that we 
hold resentment on that build up and cause us to resent the other person and to become bitter towards them. We let it build up and add up and it cause us to grow distant and apart over time. And that only happens when we don't deal with those things and address them as we need to, but instead we let them build up. On Thursday night, um, Thursday I went down to West Lafayette to, uh, to see Eli a little bit. And uh, to, we had something with the ministry down there that I wanted to be a part of. And if, mo- if many of you probably remember, on Thursday, uh, we had a little bit of a system come through. And so as I was there Thursday afternoon, um, it began to snow a little bit. In fact, um, I believe it snowed probably a little bit more there than it did here. But snowed a little bit in the afternoon, and then we had our um, meeting on, on Thursday night. It was like 9.30 or so before I got ready to come back. And I went out to my car. And if you remember the weather from Thursday, my car was covered in a sheet of ice. And so I had to turn it on and let it warm up and melt off the ice and use my ice scraper and chape, uh, chip off all the ice and so forth. And so I, I got my windshield clean and got my windows clean and I started driving back home. But if you remember the weather, maybe you weren't aware of this, but late Thursday night, um, it had kind of stopped, it was kind of snowing, it was kind of sleeting, it was kind of doing some kind of little misty, freezy precipitation type of thingy. Um, and so it was coming down, and so I started on my way back, and it was cold. Okay, I don't know, it was about 22 degrees, the wind was blowing, it was just really cold. And so I was driving back from, from West Lafayette on, on Thursday night, and just listening to the radio and driving, and uh, I had to have my windshield wipers going because it was just precipitating just enough where it wouldn't stay clear, right? And, uh, but the problem is, as you drive into the wind, what happens to your windshield wipers? They kind of freeze up and they get hard. And so um, as, I, as I drove, the top of my wipers kind of froze, and it really started, and it was still precipitating and so forth. And as the precipitation hit my vehicle, it was, it was refreezing, and so up in the corners of my windshield, it began to refreeze and ice began to build up in the corners. And then it wasn't long before as my windshield wipers froze towards the top and man, they weren't really doing any good at all. Um, up there, it began to freeze as well. And so I thought about stopping and clearing it off again. But instead, I was like, oh, I don't want to stop. I just want to get back. And I was out in the middle of nowhere at that time, so I didn't. And so I kept going. And what happened as I kept going, the precipitation still came down and it began to freeze even more in the wind and the ice that was just at the top began to come down on the windshield even more. I got halfway where it was a good place to stop and I was like, man, dude, I said, no, I think I can make it. I think I can come on home. And so I I just kept driving and um, it, it got so bad at one point, I considered pulling over on the side of the road, but I'm like, you know what? By this time, y'all, it was a little funny because here I was, I was kind of, you know, inching down as the ice was coming down, building up on my windshield. You know, I felt like um, Lightning McQueen in cars, you know, he's just got a little place to look through there and so forth. And, and I was kind of inching, uh, you know, scooching down and looking through the windshield and the ice was just continuing to build up. By the time I got home, the whole front of my car was covered in ice and my windshield. I had this little strip down here that, man, I could still look through it. But it was becoming kind of dangerous. I kind of, it's probably too dangerous for me to drive really much farther. Because why? Because the ice kept building up on the windshield. What should I have done? I should have gotten out and dealt with it. I should have pulled over, got my ice scraper, scraped the ice off, 
then continued going. But because I didn't, the ice continued to build up and it became harder and harder to see and it caused more and more problems. Reminded me of our relationships when we don't deal with bitterness and anger and resentment. Just like the ice building up on my windshield, bitterness, anger, and resentment can build up in our lives. And we may think, oh, that's nothing, whatever. And, you know, it's not a huge offense. It's not a big deal of something that's happened. But if we don't deal with it, if we don't take care of it, and if we don't, 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 don't let it go, then those things build up and that resentment begins to build. And all of a sudden we find ourselves blowing up at our spouse or our kids or whatever, or our parents, or because all those, we've allowed those things to build up. Friends, it builds up in our lives and causes major problems if we don't deal with those things as, as they come up. So with all that in mind, let's do what Paul encourages us to do. Look at Hebrews chapter 4 again. Hebrews chapter 4 in verse 30, Paul says this. He says, do not grieve. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So we should not grieve. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit of God? Well, what is the Holy Spirit of God trying to do in our lives? He's trying to lead us, guide us, and direct us. And so we grieve him when we don't let him lead us, guide us, and direct us. And in this particular case, when we don't listen to him about dealing with the bitterness and the resentment that builds up in our lives. Look at what he says in verse 31. He gives us the kind. He says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. So he says, listen, we need to deal with it. We need to put it all, we need to admit it. We need to confess it. We need to turn from it. We need to get rid of it and deal with it as it comes up. Amen? Remember what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15? Love does what? It keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Friends, let's not let resentment build up. So how do we keep from doing that? I know you've been looking for that magic bullet, right? Here's the magic bullet uh, this morning. Leads us to number three. The key to long-lasting relationships is this, friends. It is a willingness to forgive. That is the key. The key to long-lasting relationships, friends, is very simply a willingness to forgive the other person. It is to not hold bitterness and not hold things against another person. It's to let go, to be willing to move on and to allow that relationship to continue and that, therefore let the relationship develop to its fullest. Proverbs 19.11 says this. Go ahead and put the next verse up, please. Proverbs 19.11 says this, says, good sense makes one slow to anger. Now, how many of you when you're growing up, your mama said, man, you ain't got no good sense. Sorry, just memories, okay? <laughs> or they tell you, you need to have some good sense about you. Well, good sense, the Bible says here in Proverbs 19, says, makes one slow to anger. If you got good sense, you're not going to be quick to be angry. And it says, it is his glory to overlook an offense. So what does scripture say is good for us to do it is to hold 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 things against people right is that good that's bad what's good is to overlook an offense to let love cover a multitude of sins Ephesians 4:32 the passage we've been looking at in Ephesians says this 
It's the last verse in chapter four says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Friends, that's what keeps relationships healthy, amen? We're kind to one another, we're tenderhearted, but guess what? Other people are gonna do stuff that hurts us. Uh, they're gonna wrong us, they're gonna, they're gonna mistreat us. So when they do, we need, to be, we need to bear with them. We need to be willing and quick to forgive them just as we have been forgiven by God. Colossians 3, Paul says something very similar. It says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Friends, for a Christian, it's not an option. It's not an option. In fact, Jesus goes so far as to say, if you won't forgive others, he will not forgive you. Now, that aspect of this is a sermon in and of itself we could talk about for quite some time. I would encourage you um, to talk with some others about that. What does Jesus mean by that? If we don't forgive others, he won't forgive you. I simply means, I think it means that if we don't forgive others, then maybe we have truly not really accepted his forgiveness for us. Maybe we don't realize how much we need to even be forgiven for. We think we're still good people. We're still trying to earn his favor instead of realizing the magnitude of the sin for which he's forgiven us for. Friends, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a very interesting parable. I don't know if you remember the parable. It's a parable about a servant who owes his master a huge sum of money. You remember that? How much money? 10,000 talents. That probably doesn't mean much to you. Uh, 10,000 was really just kind of the largest number. Jesus was, was, was using a, a, a phrase, talent was the largest measure of money. Just, just think in today, you know, billions of dollars, a gazillion dollars. I don't know, a bunch of money, Okay. More money than you could ever pay in your lifetime. But this servant owed his master 10,000 talents, just a ton of, a, 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 a super large amount of money. And so uh, he, the, the master called him to him to settle accounts, but he couldn't pay the sum. He couldn't pay it back. So the master said, let him be sold and his wife and his kids sell them. And, and what were they going to do? They were going to sell them into slavery. And he said, take the money and pay his debt with that. Probably wouldn't even have paid his debt anyway. But nevertheless, he said, do that. So the servant came to his master. He got down on his knees and he begged him. He said, please, sir, please, 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 please don't do that. Please, you know, please be patient with me. Give me an opportunity to pay. If you give me time, I'll pay you. I'll pay you everything I make. Just please, please don't do that. The Bible says, Jesus says that the master not only did not uh, have him sold into slavery, not only said, okay, fine, you can pay me back slowly, but he forgave all his debt. The Bible says that the master had compassion upon him and had compassion upon him and said, you know what? You're forgiven all of your debt. Now, you would think that man would go out and say, yay, right? Hallelujah. And be happy and have a great relationship with everybody. No, you know what he immediately does is he goes out and he finds somebody else who owes him money. Now, not as much as he owed the master money. That was an exorbitant amount of money. But the, somebody else who owed him money, not a, not a negligible sum, but a very three months wages. Uh, and, and he goes out and he says, listen, uh, I need you to pay me what you owe me. He said, I can't pay you what, what, what I owe you. I don't have it right now. And so he, he says, but if you'll if you give me time, I'll pay you. Just give me an opportunity to be patient with me and I'll do that. All right, sound familiar? 
said, I'll pay you. Just give me time. Let, let me have And the servant said, no. And he had his fellow servant thrown into prison. It says, until he could pay the debt. Now, scratching my head here, how is he going to pay the debt if he's in prison? He's not. And what that? It shows that it's not about the money. It's about the condition of his heart and the unforgiveness that he has towards others. The Bible then says, Jesus says that this other servant saw what had happened and went back to the master and said, listen, this servant who you gave, forgave so much, then went out and he would not forget his fellow servant this piddly small amount in comparison to what you forgave him. And the master said, lock him up, throw away the key until he can pay his debt, which is never. Why? Because he was not willing to forgive the person who forgave him. Here's the whole point of the sermon. The, the parable. The point of the parable Jesus said is this, friends, if we've been forgiven so much by our heavenly father, by what Christ did on the cross and dying for our sins, if we've been forgiven that much, friends, how can we not go out and forgive those who have wronged us? When we've sinned against God every single day of our lives, when we put ourselves or even the good things we do, friends, oftentimes are done with impure motives and we have tried to live life for us instead of God. And we are guilty of rebellion and forgetting about him. Yet we are not willing to go out and forgive those who have wronged us. Friends, the key to relationship longevity is what? forgiveness. It's forgiveness. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you understand that we all deserve, we all deserve to be separated from him for all eternity. We all deserve hell. But by his grace, and by his love in which he reached out to us and did for us what we could not do for ourselves, he came around the other side of the table and he paid our debt for us to himself on our behalf so that we can be forgiven and so that our sin debt can be wiped clean. And all he asks of us is to go out and do likewise. How dare we, who have been forgiven so much and whose sins have been nailed to the cross, not be willing to forgive those who sin against us? Friends, there are no perfect people. Amen? Therefore, there are no perfect relationships. People are going to wrong you. Therefore, the only way to have a long-lasting relationship is to be willing to continually forgive others. Otherwise, if we're not, every relationship we have will end at some point if we're not willing to forgive others. Poet and philosopher David White puts it this way. He says, friendship can be sustained over the years only with someone who has repeatedly forgiven us for our trespasses, as we must find it in ourselves to forgive them in turn. A friend knows our difficulties and shadows and yet remains 
a companion to our vulnerabilities. Real friendship, he writes, is a blessing because it is rediscovered again and again through understanding and mercy. All friendships, he says, of any length are based on a continued mutual forgiveness. Without forgiveness and mercy, he says, all friendships will die. Got to have it. It's got to be apart, friends. So my question for you is this. Why are we so selective with our friendships? We're willing to forgive some people, but not others. Is it, the, is it our perceived size of the offense? Is it because some of them we're related to? Who are you willing to forgive? Why are we willing to forgive some and not forgive others? What offenses, friends, do you need to overlook, and would you be willing to do that today? Randy Frazee, pastor of Pentigo Bible Church in Fort Worth, Texas, shared this story. He said, I went to visit a man in his office one day. While there, he said, I was looking around in his office at all the pictures on the wall and on the shelves and his books and plaques and all that kind of stuff. And he said, in looking around, I saw a picture of him and his wife, and I saw it and made the simple comment, nice picture. He said, as I looked, and a few minutes later, he said, I turned around to look at the man, and as I looked at him, he had tears welling up in his eyes. I was a little puzzled. He said, I looked at him, and I said, what's wrong? Why are you crying? The man then explained. He said, well, he said, the reason I'm crying is that there was a time in our marriage when I was unfaithful to my wife. There was a time when I was unfaithful, and she found out about it. She was so deeply hurt, he said, and injured that she was going to leave me and take the kids with her. He said, I was so overwhelmed at the mistake I had made, I immediately shut the affair down. I went to my wife in total brokenness. Knowing that I did not deserve for her to answer in the affirmative, I asked her to forgive me anyway, and unbelievably, she did. He said, this picture was taken shortly after that. So, When I see this picture, he says, I see a woman who forgave me. I see a woman who was willing to stand with me in this picture. When you see the picture, you say, nice picture. He said, when I see the picture, I see my life given back to me again. Now, some of you might hear that story and think, how in the world could a woman forgive her husband and he does something like that? I get that. But the reality is, friends, that every successful and long-lasting relationship is built on a miracle of forgiveness of some kind. And if it's not, then it won't last. Every long-lasting relationship has forgiveness baked into it. It is the key undeserved forgiveness. It is the key to long-lasting relationships. It is the key that brought us into a relationship with Christ. Amen? It is the key to long-lasting earthly relationships as well. Who do you need to forgive? And who do you need to ask forgiveness of? Would you do that today? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, 
Lord, as we come before you today, we realize, Lord, that we are sinners, rebellious, wanting to do what we want to do, not naturally seeking you in our lives. But because of your grace and your mercy and your forgiveness, you've offered us new life through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for that. Friend, if you're here today, if you're watching online, you've never experienced the forgiveness that is possible in Christ. He died to pay the penalty for your sin, your sin debt against God. And he's willing to forgive you if you'll simply accept what he did on the cross for you as payment for your sins. You can be born again and become a part of the eternal family of God. But friends, if you're here today, if you're watching online and you've accepted Christ as your Savior, then how how could we not also forgive those who constantly sin against us. Lord Jesus, would you change our hearts today? Friend, would you call out to the Lord and surrender it to him and say, Lord Jesus, do a work in my heart that the forgiveness that you have given to me, I may, I may extend also to others. Friend, I want to ask you, what hurts, what wrongs, what bitterness, what resentment do you have in your life right now? What is that one relationship that you just can't stop thinking about the hurts and the wrongs that have been done to you? Would you right now say, Lord Jesus, I release that. I'm not going to hold that against them any longer. Friends, did you know that forgiveness is a choice? You say, Pastor, I just don't feel like it. Yeah, I understand that. A lot of, we don't feel like a lot of things. But God, the Scripture says, chose to forgive us. Chose to remove our sins as far as the east is from the west. From us. So will you choose right now to not hold those things against that person? Would you let it go? Would you stop keeping the record of wrongs? Would you actively choose to not remember those things anymore? When they come up in your mind, say, nope, not going not gonna to do that. I'm not going to dwell on those things. I'm not going to chew on them. I'm not going to keep remembering them and let it go. Heavenly Father, you know You know the relationship problems that those who are listening to me today have. You know the repair that needs to happen, Lord. And so, Lord, I just pray for those relationships. I pray that those who are here that need to go and ask forgiveness of somebody else will do that. For those who are here who need to release and need to forgive will do that, Lord. That your forgiveness will pour out in our lives, Lord. And we will not be able, um, we will not be able Lord, to hold on to that any longer because of the flood of love and forgiveness and grace that we feel in our lives. Help us be the instigator, the lover, the 
of good relationships, Lord, the one who reaches out, the one who extends kindness and goodness and mercy and gentleness and faithfulness and all of those qualities, Lord. Let your spirit do its work in us so that we can be the one where good relationships begin. And Lord, let that be our testimony to the world. Deal with our hearts today, Lord. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to Southside Baptist Church's weekly sermon podcast. If there's any way that we can help you, or if you're looking for your next steps to further your journey with Jesus Christ, please contact us at info at southsidesbc.org. Thanks and have a great week.